Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM uh, translator. Hello and good morning to you, my friends. It is uh, just uh, another beautiful day here in paradise, a brisk and crisp Three degrees below zero at the old uh, <laughs> at the old uh, radio ranch, and uh, yeah, ooh, man, what a what a what a weekend! Cold, crisp, and clear. That's what we've got. And then this week, rain. <laughs> no, I'm not. <clears throat> I'm not kidding. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Blizzard warning is in effect for the Matsu Valley uh, right now. Uh, with uh, blowing winds and uh, wind gusts up to 75 miles an hour. Uh, localized blizzard conditions with drifting snow likely from this morning at 9 a.m. through 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Uh, so it's like snow, blizzard, wind, rain, and more snow. Um, chance of rain. Uh, Got to be 32 degrees on uh, 32 degrees on Tuesday, and then again highs near 32 with rain on Thanksgiving Day, um, and uh, highs of 39 on Thanksgiving Day. So, but <laughs> it just it cannot make up its mind. Cannot make up its mind here as to what's uh, going on here. Uh, it's wow it's just everything just everything going on here uh around so anyway uh welcome to the program for monday it's the short week it's thanksgiving week did you get your turkey yet we got everything but the turkey i have to go get the turkey today or tomorrow uh but not wednesday i'm not going to the grocery store on wednesday the day before thanksgiving that is taking your life into your own hands for sure um, <clears throat> getting that young, plump, fresh butterball turkey. That's the answer. The young, fresh butterball. That's, that's, if you want a good turkey, that's the one you get. The, the, so go, you better do it. You better go get it done. Um, it's, uh, by the way, <clears throat> did you notice the increase in prices on everything? I haven't been to the grocery store in a while, man. Um, Pumpkin, cranberries, a handful of other things, 30% higher than they were in previous years. I just saw a report, and then I went to the store and confirmed it for myself. 30% increase in pumpkin and um, and cranberries, of all things. I, I just, wow. Anyway. Okay, so today on the program, what are we going to do? Today we're talking education. 
Uh, in hour two, it's going to be um, whatever. It's going to be whatever. When Tomorrow, it's going to be full. we got Brad Keithley, Chris Story. On Wednesday, we're going to have, um, I think, Mike Shower join us. Not 100% sure yet, uh, but also working on another guest. And we're going to do some firearm stuff on fr- on Wednesday because there is no firearms Friday this week. We're on vacation. Remember, that's uh, it's going to be gone. We're going to be off on Thursday and Friday, and then we'll be back again on Monday. And then it's on the countdown to Christmas, my friends where I will be taking a a huge chunk off between Christmas and New Year's, I will be on vacation. So, because I just can't stand looking at myself anymore on the video. It's just, it's, can't do it. You just can't do it anymore. Uh, But today it's education all day uh, in hour one with Sarah Montalbano. God, I love saying that. Montalbano, she's going to be joining us from the Alaska Policy Forum. And we're going to talk about how it's uh, it's not how much money <clears throat> you spend on education. It's where you spend it that's important. She's got a new article up right now on uh, over at the uh, Policy Forum about that. And uh, we're going to jump into that. Well, hell, let's just do it right now. Let's just jump in right now, see what's going on. We're going to check her for a recipe, too, remember, because the recipe contest is still going on. So we're going to make sure we check her for her favorite holiday recipe. She's going to have to give it up before she leaves the program this morning. Sarah Montalbano joins us right now. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How about yourself? You know, it's another beautiful day in paradise. What more could you ask for? It's... uh, two below zero and <laughs> crisp and cold and i hate this place uh anyway uh it's it's all good it's all good how about yourself you uh you doing doing well ready for the ready for turkey day oh yeah i'm prepared i have bought all of my groceries and yeah i've noticed that inflation's taken a bite out of my budget this year i was looking at it going like what because i'd read the story like last week and i'm like oh yeah right and then i go to the store and i'm like wait a second that is holy cow you know yeah that the meal that used to cost you 150 180 bucks is now 250 bucks i mean it's just not a it's not an easy thing i buy for a lot of people folks so just in case you're freaked out about that number when you have a thanksgiving dinner for seven people that's what you get um all right well let's uh let's get started here sarah first of all thank you for coming on the program it's always good uh second of all you've got this great piece up which talks about not necessarily the quantity of dollars but where you put them. Um, so let's uh, let's get started on this because you got some interesting graphs and some discussions. And it, this is some of the stuff that you and I have talked about over the past, especially when we start talking about things like administrative overhead and where are the dollars going. So give us the give us the the kickstart to run down here for us. What's going on? Absolutely. This discussion is going to fall back on a lot of the things we've talked about before, uh, but I really think it's important to remind everyone that uh, increasing education spending does not necessarily lead to the better outcomes that we would expect with just putting more money into the pot. Um, and so I, in this article, I look at the Edgenomics Lab at Georgetown University, a really well-respected source that I find myself going to a lot. Um, and they have a very useful chart of uh, fiscal year 2019, so a couple years back. Um, and they plot individual schools from in Alaska 
um, the per pupil spending is on the horizontal axis. So when you go left to right, you're increasing your spending. Um, and on the vertical axis, you have the percentage of students who are proficient on our statewide exam, the Alaska system of academic readiness. And what we see is not what you would expect with, with the kind of uh, assumptions we've built into the system. Um, if those assumptions were true, we would expect better outcomes as funding increases, right? Uh, and what we actually see is the opposite, that more funding is leading to, uh, more funding is correlated with worse outcomes. There's a lot of things to unpack in this graph, but I just want to start with the basic that this assumption is not moving in the direction that we would expect. No, I mean, especially when you start looking at the overhead and the overall expenditure and then the, then the hue and cry, what we're hearing from the news media and from some of the politicos and the talking heads is, oh, we just, we're just not doing enough. We're just not doing enough. But I mean, even at the average of $20,000 per student, which is one of the higher ones in the nation, um, you know, I mean, we're, <clears throat> we're up there in the top four or five. Um, we're still in the bottom when it comes down to it. So as you said, let's dive into it and take a look at what is going on on a school, uh, you know, per, per district, per school, student basis. And what it shows is that, that, the, that the lack of money is not necessarily the problem. It's how the money is spent. Um, and you come up with some pretty startling numbers when it's all said and done. I think so. Yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting scenario here. Um, there's obviously some things like growth and administration that we've talked about. Uh, the other thing we haven't talked about very much are unfun unfunded pension liabilities, which is, you know, you have promised a certain amount in retirement funds to your teachers as they, they retire. Um, and in a lot of states, unfunded liabilities, including Alaska, Alaska's. Uh-oh. We lost Sarah's pensions are somewhat unfunded. Go. Lost your audio there for a second. You said some some they were. some pensions um, are what unfunded. You're adding is going backwards as talking about you know initiatives that are working. And I'm sorry, we lost your audio there for a minute. I'm sorry. So we we lost your audio there for a minute. So you're saying the unfunded pension liabilities is not something that we're talking about in general. So what 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 what, what were the thoughts on the unfunded liabilities? We lost you there for a second. I'm so sorry. Let me know if that happens again. Um, what I was saying about unfunded liabilities is that, you know, this is a bucket of money that you've promised to teachers for the retirement. And so this current funding, maybe if it's going into those unfunded liabilities, that's less valuable from a classroom perspective um, right. than being able to actually put it to the initiatives and the things that are working. Because that's what we're hearing a lot of. Well, if these teachers had a better salary, if they had better benefits, if they were fully funded, then they'd stick around and they'd do all this stuff. But that doesn't necessarily collate down to the bottom line. And in fact, uh, some of the studies have shown that the teachers don't necessarily care about that as much as many other things. Now, there used to be a mandate. <clears throat> uh, there used to be a mandate that 70 percent of the dollars from, like, for example, the BSA used to have to go into the classroom. But at some point, they submarined that. It, it's gone. And so now we're not seeing that 70% going into the classroom. And that is, is that essentially part of the problem here? I would be reluctant to say causally, because I think a lot of other states see this problem and they ne have never necessarily had that uh, kind of term. Um, what I would say is that we can't simply just trust 
that you drop in this pile of money and that it's getting used in the most efficient ways. Um, and that's exactly what a fellow at the Hoover Institution, I took a quote from him for this article because I really loved it. Um, you know, you can't just drop in a pile of money and expect good performance to come out. Uh, and so when we look at the numbers here, the schools that are doing more with less, those that are spending under $10,000 per student in fiscal year 19, those are predominantly exclusively correspondence schools and charter schools. And they are doing just as well, getting just as near or above the average as the rest of the schools that are spending twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars per student. Yeah, and in fact, you said uh, in one at one point in the article, you said that in fact some of the highest academic scores are for schools that are spending less than ten thousand dollars, which are predominantly the correspondence schools and the charter schools and things like that. So it's not necessarily a moneyed issue per se although that is the mantra that we've been given by the uh, by the you know by the public by the media by the politicians etc is that the the money is the entire issue at this point absolutely and there's being very little focus on you know how these funds can actually be used to better serve students that's just the debate is hinging on the dollar amount right now and I think that's a mistake for us in our public discourse to think about it only in those terms. We need to think about what's working. We're, we have models like charter schools and correspondence schools and a lot of public schools doing very, very well. And we need to look to them to see what they're doing and how we can emulate it and make the most bang for your buck that way. Well, and that's been my advocation for a long time. Uh, and in fact, you know, not just here in the state, I've said, let's look at what other places are doing. And they actually did that. I mean, that was the whole point of this Read by Nine program, right? This came out of Florida originally. And you'd think, oh, great, a program that worked. There won't be any pushback on this. And then the next thing you know, everybody and their mother's banging the drum about how this is just, oh, this leaves people behind. This is great. Wait. Wait. We've seen something that works. We're trying to bring it online and everybody's fighting against it. What's the holdup? Yeah, I, I think Read by Nine is a really perfect example of this because it's incredible that something as simple as teaching children how to read the right way and making sure that they're not being pulled behind it's amazing how that's become a partisan issue. Uh, I think Florida has done this for two decades. They're seeing the results. Mississippi has jumped up incredibly in the NAEP numbers. And I just, it's its remarkable to me that this is being treated uh, so suspiciously. Uh, it's, it's a really fantastic program and we can learn from the best of other states as long as we're willing to listen. Sarah Montalbano is our guest with the Alaska Policy Forum. We are up against the break. So we're going to shake down Sarah for some holiday recipes during the break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more about education. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. We return with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. We should say beard power and redheaded power. That's what's driving the show today is the power. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, Sarah, the numbers and this chart is really, this is an interactive chart, which I love, uh, for those of you who don't, I just posted the link up in the chat room here, a few comments, I guess I'll post it again. Cause it's already rolled off my screen. Uh, <laughs> you can go ahead and follow the link over to her article at the Alaska policy forum. And this is an interactive graph, which, I mean, you could permutate any which way you want. It basically shows you everything. You could even type in the district name, the school, I mean, everything else. There's lots of great information here. Um, and it shows you exactly what, you know, that that some of the biggest responses and some of the biggest uh, gains are in, again, charter and correspondence and the fact that uh, all the green is in the lower category. The higher we spend, it seems like the f- less return we get in the long run. Absolutely. It's not causal necessarily. There's a lot of other factors at play. But I think if we were to see a relationship with more funding, improving outcomes, we would see that at least with some of these schools. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule. There's plenty of high performers in the high funding category. But, you know, as a general rule, the line is sloping down. And I think that's just a really important fact to have here. You know, you can go look up your school. You can look at the different correlations between the size of the school and the amount of funding and their outcomes. But it's just it's a really cool graph. And I wish I could take credit for it. But that's the Edunomics lab right there. The Edunomics lab, like education. Edunomics. Edunomics lab at uh, which, which university is it again? Georgetown, Georgetown, University. Georgetown University. So it's uh, it's a great uh, it's a great uh, uh, opportunity here. Um, Sarah, uh, we're doing a uh, I don't want to get too far afield here. We're doing a, a, a big holiday recipe contest for the show um, where if you put your favorite holiday recipe up there, you get a chance to win um, a, a a bag of beard curler coffee and a coffee mug from the show, <laughs> which I should just send you anyway because you've been on the show so much. But um, so what's what's what are your favorite what's what's grandma's favorite recipe or grandpa's favorite recipe that you used to cook all the time for the holidays that you take on with you? What's your tradition? I'm so excited you asked me that. My dad's pecan recipe is my favorite. I make it for pretty much every holiday that I have an excuse for. Um, and what he does differently, there's a pinch of salt. So it cuts the cloying sweetness that pecan pies often have. Um, and he arranges the pecans on the top as well. So there's some crushed pecans in the filling. And then there's a, a circle of, of pecans all over the top. And it's it's just so much fun to make. And they're so beautiful. Shut up and take my money. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Shut up and take my money. I expect one. <laughs> Now that's the thing. I put my uh, I put my grandmother's uh, my grandmother makes a pumpkin pie. You know most pumpkin pies are like condensed and you know real thick and everything else. She makes yeah. a pumpkin pie uh, that was it's chiffon. It it it's like this. It's puffy when it's all done. It's like this thick and it's creamy and it's the best pumpkin pie ever. Period. Uh, so I put that recipe up, but you should post your recipe up. You should post your dad's pecan pie recipe up and see what people say. I think Bill is still ahead right now. He was doing the bourbon candied bourbon popcorn. Yeah. There's some great recipes. There was some bread pudding recipes. There was some, uh, uh, I think somebody did a 
is a Brussels sprout recipe or something? Anyway, there's some really great recipes over there. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. We always do the we always do the bacon Brussels sprouts and uh, the green bean casserole with the bacon and the and the mu- and mushrooms and, uh, and oh, so so good. I last Christmas I did my dad's. Uh, um, I, well, maybe it was a year before I posted my dad's um, brown sugar and bourbon ham. Which is Ooh. my dad does that every year. We do that every year. In fact, that we like you, pretty much. If I can get away with it, I do it for Christmas and I do it for New Year, and then sometimes I do it for Easter too, just because you know you got to have that ham. So it's uh, it's a delicious thing. Um, all right. Well, we're twenty seconds out. We're going to continue this discussion with Sarah, and then we're going to give her the last segment to talk about anything new she's working on, um, and uh, or just general education, blah blah, whatever we got going on. So we're going to continue on here. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Let's do this thing. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which. That makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the, uh, Michael Duke show. I am not a pain in the, well, okay, I am. But, you know, it's, uh, it's fine. Uh, Doc says it's just my personality. Uh, let's uh, continue ahead here. Uh, we're talking with Sarah Montalbano, who is education analyst for the Alaska Policy Forum. We're talking about her latest piece, on how it's not how it's on how it's not how much we spend say that five times fast it's where we spend it it's it's not how much we spend it's how we spend it that makes the big difference and so sarah you we talked about the school the schools that are spending an enormous amount of money and those that are spending a smaller amount i love how the graph by the way doesn't even encapsulate because it stops at forty thousand dollars per student and we've got some districts that are spending eighty ninety thousand dollars per student so they fall completely off the graph but uh so where are they spending it where are they spending the money that's making the difference uh, for these uh, for these students, especially when we're talking about the correspondence and the charter schools, where for ten thousand dollars or less, they're doing better than kids that are getting four times that much. That's a great question. Um, I would say that the majority, and in fact, you know, some somewhere near the eighty and ninety percent mark of funds for a school district are spent on staff and personnel. Now that doesn't separate out, you know, staff that are teaching and staff that maybe are principals or counselors or, you know, uh, contracted for, for food service, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, what we see there is these, these personnel costs are the main uh, issue here. And so the Georgetown uh, Edgenomics Lab has been warning for quite a while about this fiscal cliff that districts are coming towards uh, at the end of uh, fiscal year 2024, uh, when these American Rescue Plan funds run out. Uh, and the reason they're talking about this is because a lot of what districts have done nationwide, not just here in Alaska, are hire extra teachers um, and, and personnel that are ongoing costs. And so instead of doing things that are one-time only funding uh, for maybe a summer program to catch kids back up, uh, from their learning loss from the pandemic. A lot of schools have used this to either fund existing positions or add new teachers. And so they're coming up on this this situation where they're not going to be able to fund the teachers that they have. Um, and so that's, I think, what we're seeing a, a large part nationwide is is also just the recognition that, hey, this this money is running out and we have 
too many people to support. This reminds me of an old axiom where it said, piss poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part, right? I mean, that's what we've seen. You've got one-time funding, and instead of spending it on one-time expenditures, you're spending it on ongoing expenditures. You, of course, are going to have a crisis when you when that money runs out because you're not going to have any more of it. I mean, who... These are supposed to be educators. These are supposed to be smart people. What I mean, what genius? I mean, I'm not that smart. I barely graduated high school. How in the world do these people look at that and go, well, we should spend this on salaries. That'll make sense. I mean, who who thought that was a good idea? And like you said, it's not just Alaska. It's going on across the country. Yeah, and it feeds in, too, to this discussion of teacher shortages. And a lot of it is not that we are suddenly training fewer teachers in teachers' colleges across the U.S., but that we had this weird hiring boom with these pandemic funds. And now, you know, we we can't hire all these teachers. There's a glut. But somehow we have this shortage at the same time. Uh, so I, I really think it's an interesting topic. That's predominantly what districts are spending on. But we've talked before, too, about, you know, administrative costs that some of these people are obviously administrative personnel um, and that there's, you know, all these unfunded liabilities that are coming through for uh, the defined contribution plans and all these pension systems. Uh, so there's just there's a lot to fund. There's not all that much money that they're they're uh, not already have it earmarked. Uh, so it's it's a really interesting situation here. But adding more funds, just baseline bucket, is not going to show in the student achievements uh, unless it's really in some targeted initiatives. Well, and we've talked about in the past, you've done the analysis of the, like, for example, administrative overhead across the state. You know, and some districts have three, four, even almost five administrators for every school teacher. And if, it, if the job here is about teaching children, and I mean, again, I'm not, I mean, I'm old, I'm not that old, but 35, 40 years ago when I was in, when I was in school, <clears throat> you didn't have 15 counselors and administrators and guidance. You know, it was mostly teachers with a handful of, of administrative staff to make sure things run smoothly. And that seems to have exploded you know across across the country in the last 30 years and changed i mean that that has inverted you know one graph is going up and the other graph is going down where you've got teachers in the classroom versus administrative overhead and it's become part of this kind of i guess uh, industrial complex right yeah i and i would say as I've said before on this program, I'll say it again, I think schools are trying to do so much that is not necessarily the purpose of a school. Um, you know, we have all of these counseling activities and activities and, and electives, and it's like the main purpose of the education, at least that most people can agree upon, is getting your reading, writing, and arithmetic to a certain baseline level so that you are able to go out into the workforce and go live a successful life. Uh, everyone uses reading. It's part of just being a successful person uh, in the basic sense of, you know, able to support yourself. Uh, so I, I really do think schools are have broadened their focus so much that they're not able to do anything particularly well. Right. Again, we're talking with Sarah Montalbano about this latest piece that she just wrote over at the Alaska Policy Forum, taking a look at information from Georgetown University, the Edunomics Lab there, which basically is showing that it's not necessarily how much we spend. 
It's how we spend it. Uh, again, talking about it. And you just hit on that number. I want to go back to that number again, Sarah, where you said 70% of the dollars being spent are being consumed by overhead at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, even farther than that, it's 80, 90% in a lot of places are on personnel alone. We're not talking about materials. We're just talking about the teacher's time, administrator's time, salaries, benefits, et cetera. So that is the main bucket that all of these things are being spent on. Um, and if we want to be able to teach, to pay our teachers well, um, you know, we need to be thinking about the ways that this maybe doesn't make sense. Like we have a lot of opportunities to rethink how schooling's done. And I'm I'm disappointed that after the pandemic, traditional public schools have gone back to what they've been doing uh, with maybe a little more technology in the classroom, a little more gadgetry, but we're not like thinking about the structure of school days differently. Right. Well, of course, we're still hearing stories about how teachers don't have enough pencils or paper or crayons or whatever it is. They're go. They're still we hear the sob story. Oh, they're going into their own pockets to buy supplies and things like that. And first of all, that should obviously should never happen. That should be first call on everything. But as you said, they had an opportunity, a prime opportunity during the pandemic to take a look at what was working and what wasn't. And this goes back to what we were saying earlier. We look at the things that work and the things that don't. And yet even the things that have worked in other places, like the read by nine, have all of a sudden become a cultural flashpoint. They become controversial when all they were was a way to get kids to read by nine. I mean, I don't understand how it could be so. Uh, it could be so difficult. Uh, Anthony says, "I'm curious. Do you think that the budget bloat? Uh, let me get over here. I, do you think that the budget bloat of the educational system is the byproduct of a more is better mentality caused by dismal school so, uh, scores? Even though most of us know it's a quality, not quantity issue." And I think that's a great question, Sarah. It's fantastic. And I was going to say, there's some fantastic questions coming in through the audience that I would love to answer. Um, what I think is, yeah, there is a lot of this more is better mentality. And I think you know, it's really interesting how technologies are introduced in the classroom. Just as an example, um, you know, books were a technology that were introduced in the classroom and they revolutionized things because you didn't have to have a teacher lecturing at you to learn the material. You could read the book and then come to get applications with your teacher. And I think there's just so much of that where we are charging forward with this more is better mentality, more funding, more laptops, more iPads, you know, something is more and we're not thinking about thoughtful ways to use it. We're not thinking about how to make the best use of these funds. Or are those best spent on, you know, a new classroom card of iPads? Or maybe we should be thinking about, you know, gifted and talented programs, or maybe some targeted reading initiatives for those students that are really struggling. Um, you know, there's all sorts of options and there's always trade-offs to all of them. Uh, but that is the problem is we are not treating these funds like finite resources. You know, we, we need right. to be thinking about the trade-offs of these things. Well, and we're not doing well, as we just pointed out. We're not doing well with even the excess or the extra funds that we get, you know, spending them on uh, reoccurring costs instead of one-time costs. It's a, it's a frustrating thing. And, and I think I think you're, you're nailing it there. Uh, this is something that I've advocated for for years, is that something is fundamentally flawed or broken in the current educational model. Um, we don't continue, you know, you can't continue to have the lowest performance in the country, 
you know, 48th, 49th out of 50. Um, and the, then the country as a whole, you can't have the the some dismal performance. We spend more than almost any other industrialized nation on education, and yet we're in the middle lower of the pack national internationally against other against other uh, countries as you know western nations and you can't keep doing that and say well it's just because we're not spending enough that that it, it's obviously de- demonstrably not true we're spending more than ever and yet something is not working and so somebody has got to admit and look themselves in the mirror and say something's broken and we need to figure out what it is. And we should be looking at, we should be using the grocery store method with these other countries. I'm not saying we advocate for like what Germany does, where they choose a path for a kid when they're still in grade school or something. But we can use at least some of it as examples and guidelines. How do we adapt some of that to a freer system like we have here? But no, it's like we keep wanting to do the same thing over and over again and just asking for more money. I agree. And I think there's so many issues with education that, you know, it's not geared and we've discussed this before, but it's not geared towards the kind of jobs and careers that students want these days and what our economy is turning into. Um, What we have in the traditional public school system was built for people who wanted to be factory workers or had to be factory workers. And, you know, a lot of those skills are, you know, memorizing complex instructions and, you know, being able to stand and sit for long periods of time. And that's just not the kind of thing we're valuing today. We value critical thinking. We value, you know, creativity and imagination. Uh, And I don't think our school system is built for that. Well, and that's the thing. Critical thinking is something that we're not even, you know, going back to a classical education of the triumvirate, logic, rhetoric, reason, you know, those kind of things. We we should be going back to those things um, because that gives them the opportunity to assess and critically understand things instead of you know, reading by rote and, 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 you know, like you said, memorization of certain things, you know, and instead of just giving them the basic foundation and formula, like you said, they're trying to spread things out and teach a lot more than what they ever, you know, what these kids will ever use or need in that regard, instead of teaching them the, the idea of being able to analyze, have critical thought, accurate thinking, and then move on from there. And they've missed the golden opportunity here. Absolutely. It's uh, it's it's pretty astonishing. OK, we're up against the she just agrees with me. I'm bringing her on from now on. All she does is agree with me. It's amazing stuff. <laughs> uh, Sarah Montalbano is our guest in the next segment. We're going to give her some free reign and she's going to be able to tell us um, some of the things, some of the other things she's working on. What other thoughts she has on this or any other else, uh, anything else. We're going to be uh, back with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense. Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more right after this. What is that? Common Sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Did not want to go to commercial break. Okay. 
Um, all right, we're there. Let's answer some questions in the chat room. Sarah said she wanted to answer some of them. You could choose a couple that you want, Sarah, but let me ask this one here. Sarah, didn't you report that administrative salaries increased substantially compared to classroom teachers? It would be helpful to break down the percentage of funds spent on personnel into categories such as administration, classified, and certified classroom teachers. I'll leave that up to Sarah. Didn't you talk about that before? I think I have. Um, the numbers are not uh, coming easily to my mind right now, but this is why I love talking to all of you, because you give me great ideas for analyses to perform in the future. Um, yeah, we do see that administrator salaries have increased um, at, at least. No, the number of administrators have increased. Uh, that is what is publicly available data from the National Center for Education Statistics. Uh, I believe teachers declined about 8%. Uh, the number of teachers declined about 8% and um, administrators increased almost double that, if I'm recalling that correctly. Um, and so just looking at the sheer balance of things, uh, you can see that, you know, the number of administrators is increasing. Uh, and in general, yeah, administrators are being paid more than teachers and we're seeing, you know, commensurate salary increases year to year to year. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say that's a safe assumption, but I would love to see some more breakdowns of of funding and perhaps I'll be the one to do that. There you go. You got some homework. Next time you have on, you can give us the breakdown as to what everybody's making. What else uh, What else did you see here that you said you wanted to answer? Was there anything that st stood out for you here? Hit me with it. Yeah, there's a great question here. Uh, Sarah M., can one say that there is a correlation between parent involvement and student achievement? Involved parents seem to have their ch kids in charter slash alternative schools. And the first thing I would note on that is um, it's really interesting to look at studies of charter school performance versus uh, traditional public school performance. And in my last piece, public uh, charter schools are public schools. Um, we looked at this a little bit. And the fascinating thing is that when you pull from the same place and you say, okay, here are the kids going to the traditional public school that applied to be in a charter school but lost the lottery. The real measure of that is, you know, these parents cared enough to apply for the lottery. And some of them got in and some of them didn't, but they all kind of have that same level of parental involvement. And even when that is true, we see that the charter school students do better even than their traditional public school peers who ended up going to that public school and so it doesn't necessarily come down to the parental involvement of these models, although I'm sure that it helps. Uh, there's still some fundamental differences in the curriculum for charter schools that seems to make a difference. And I think that's important. We we talk about, you know, how do we get more parental involvement? And I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a broader societal question. Um, but sure, it's uh, it's it's important uh, and it will make some difference. But again, I think it has more to do at this point with the teaching model uh, than ever, than anything else. Uh, even Harold, our resident <clears throat> naysayer, says the uh, the majority. Whoops, nope, that's not the one that I wanted. Where was it? It was just right here uh, because he basically he basically lines it out and says, there you go. Here it is. Uh, when your school maintenance department is greater than your teacher aid staff and teachers have 10-year-old supplies, it's a jobs program and not a viable school, just saying. And that's, I think, a lot of what's happening is a lot of this money is getting consumed by the overhead, and the overhead is self-serving in and of itself. It doesn't make it evil. It's just the nature of it. And so it continues to grow, and it keeps squeezing on the one thing where it can get it from, which is 
from the classroom at this point. Um, why wouldn't we uh, be pointing that out and looking at that? I mean, why, again, you can look at those inverse statistics and see that the number of administrators to each teacher, that number has continued to climb. You've, you've documented it. I mean, it started out down here and all of a sudden it's just creeping up and up and up. And uh, when you have that many cooks and not enough, uh, you know, we, too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak, uh, you don't have enough to, uh, to, to feed the kids anymore. That's the big problem. Yes, and I would love it if we would see some really innovative models for, um, you know, teaching differently. Uh, I think I've discussed on this program before, uh, there's a charter school in New York City that got rid of its administrators and all the teachers are taking on some different administrative duties and they're able to get their starting salary up to about $120,000, all because, you know, the principal is also the third grade math teacher and things like that. So I would love to see some interesting ways to solve this problem. Um, You know, I think there's also different ways we could structure the teaching profession. Teachers don't need to be spending all their time making copies and, you know, supervising the lunchroom and things that don't actually play to their expertise. Um, And so, you know, thinking about things differently, I think is really important. And traditional public schools are reluctant to do that. I think that's a good talking. I think that's a good topic for the next segment is uh, things that can change. Uh, I mean, that sounds like an amazing thing. They eliminated all the administrators and took the duties on themselves and they made more money. I mean, that makes sense uh, because that seems to be the way my school used to be, was you had a lot of teachers pulling double duty in that regard and they made more money. Uh, Let's continue with Sarah Montalbano, our guest. One final segment here, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free-Thinking Radio. Like, share, follow, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that stuff. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. (laughs) Pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Hey, I took a test. There's a pinch of intellect in there somewhere. I don't know what it is. It's small, but... Welcome back to the program. Sarah Montalbano is our guest. Uh, She is the education analyst from the Alaska Policy Forum. And she joins us today. Today, uh, this final segment, I guess we'll talk about solutions. Sarah was just telling us, you know, I think the the takeaway from all this, Sarah, is kind of what you said in that uh, there was a golden opportunity in the pandemic to see what they were doing wrong and to make those changes when they came back, right? To when they came back, but instead they're basically just continuing on more of the same. Um, and you mentioned solutions like some places. You just mentioned a school in New York where the school decided, uh, the district decided to eliminate a lot of the overhead and have the teachers pick up a lot of that work. So now it's mostly teachers, but they're all making a hundred and something thousand. Give it. Give us the. Give me the details here. Absolutely. The New York City Charter School that I'm talking about, note first that it's a charter school. So it has the flexibility to do these things that maybe traditional public schools don't. Uh, But this charter school actually said, you know, we're not going to have administrator only positions. Uh, We're going to really cut down on that. And every teacher is going to take on a little bit of this administrative work. And then we'll be able to raise our starting salaries. And it actually gets close to $120,000 for a starting teacher. That's an incredible salary for teachers. I think any teacher would love to have that. Uh, But they're all taking on these different 
roles, um, you know, the, the third grade math teacher is also the principal, uh, you know, so you're able to do a lot of these things in a flexible model. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm such a fan of school choice. And, uh, you know, the charter schools that we've seen, the correspondence schools here in Alaska, uh, they all have the flexibility to do things differently. Well, and we should be looking to do things differently. Um, I mean, I just said it earlier, and I've been saying it for years, but uh, that's not going to stop me from keep saying it, which is that something is fundamentally broken in our education system nationally, that there's something just fundamentally flawed because we're spending more than ever and 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 we're having pathetic results. You know, here in the state, we're at the 48th and 49th percentile. Uh, internationally, you know, the U.S. education system doesn't do great. It's in the middle to the lower middle of the pack against all the other industrialized nations. And yet we spend more than almost anybody. So uh, something is wrong. And we've got to the first step, to, the first step to you, you have to admit that there's a problem, right? To being able to fix the problem is to admit that there is a problem. And that's just something that we aren't hearing. I agree. And we had such a golden opportunity with this pandemic. And I think what we saw was just basically traditional public schools shifted and tried to do the same thing online through laptops, through computers. Uh, and then now that we're back, we're doing traditional public school still, and we're still, you know, bringing in those laptops when it's convenient. And that's just not the opportunity being used all that well. Uh, I think we had some really interesting opportunities to build, you know, online forward curriculums, things that are actually supposed to be taken online, things that measure, you know, your mastery of a subject rather than counting how many hours you've sat in a classroom listening to a teacher talk about it. Uh, there's just all sorts of interesting things that we could have done that we're not seeing except where there is, you know, freedom and school choice where you're able to say, you know, I'd like to build a micro school. I would like to do, you know, so many different things. It's amazing what we've seen across the U.S. Right. Um, and that people are still sticking with it. Yeah. Teacher shares, uh, pandemic learned. Now they call them learning pods. They don't call them pandemic pods anymore, but learning pods. Um, and yet you've got people like Randy Weingarten, who is the uh, the American Teacher Federation president. She's the, the union of all unions, right? She posts on Twitter the other day. Uh, why are we? Why are our kids going to homeschooling? And of course, you know, the, because there's been a 30 percent increase across the country in homeschooling since the pandemic. And those are people who stuck. I mean, at one point, I think 50 percent uh, increase was the number. And then some people have ratcheted back. But she's like, well, why? Why? Because, oh, so we need more anti-bullying initiatives in school because somebody was talking about being bullied and that's why they're homeschooling their kids. Or we need more of this and we need more of that. Never looking at the real reason, which, of course, was a better education, more freedom um, and uh, a curriculum that they can choose. Absolutely. That reason piece, I saw it and I skimmed it and I thought you were going to talk about it. So I have not had a chance to really go through it and dig deep, but I, I was glad I predicted that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really obvious thing for a lot of people because they were forced into homeschooling. Maybe those people who thought, hey, I can't do this. Uh, they had to do it. They had to figure things out during the pandemic. And then once they stopped, they say, hey, well, you know, I kind of liked it the way it was. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm able to go back or I'm able to continue forward with something that's homeschooling, but actually planned out something I can think about and be deliberate about. Uh, so I think that's just a, an incredible part of this is just 
parents wanting the flexibility and knowing that they can do it. Well, and I think the education industry, they their kind of whole planning backfired because they've been telling parents for years, oh, you're just not smart enough to homeschool. You're not a professional educator. Homeschooling is hard. Why would you do? And then all of a sudden people were forced into it because there was no other option. And all of a sudden they discovered, well, wait, this this wasn't as hard as we thought. And some people found that their children just absolutely thrived in it. We've had we've had listeners comment in the chat room in the first year or so of the pandemic. We had several different listeners that came in and said, yeah, my kids are loving the homeschool. They, in fact, one guy said in like right about now, November, December, he said, my daughter has just finished the entire school year. She did it all. She did it all wow. in like three months. She loved it. She got it done and she, you know, she's ahead. Um, we're going to keep doing it. And I think that was that was definitely a milestone moment when people figured out it wasn't uh, it wasn't as hard as they were told. Yeah, it's so inspiring to hear these stories. And I got to tour in D.C. a couple months ago, a micro school. And so, you know, there's maybe 20 or 30 kids in our tour guide were they were they were the children they were you know a sixth grader who was taking us around and telling us how our school works and you know their achievement based system so they worked at their own pace they they were using Khan Academy for math they were doing a whole bunch of things and these teachers weren't called teachers they were called guides and they were you know helping students through but what struck me the most was just the confidence and excitement this kid had about learning um, and that was just amazing to see and I think as a parent that would just that would make me light up if my kid who was not excited about going to school suddenly became interested in learning again. That's just the kind of stories that I love to see. Well, right. I mean, where is the love of learning? Right. Yeah. That's, look, I'm I'm a semi-intelligent guy. Right. I mean, it wasn't that I it wasn't that I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was bored in school. I did not like I mean, it was just it was irritating to me because. It didn't go at my pace, right? I wanted to, you know, I was supposed to shut up and sit down and do my thing and do all this kind of, but I just, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn, but I wanted to learn at my pace, not at the pace of the slowest student in the class. Okay. You know, be like, okay, I got it. Oh, wait, we need to spend two more days on this. I already got it. You know, and that's the thing, uh, micro schools or homeschooling or, or, or these other things where it's done at the student's pace rather than as the, you know, again, the class being subjugated to the slowest learner in the class, that, that, that's a whole different deal. That's a whole different feel of what we have today. I was much the same way. And it's it, no matter where the teacher aims in that group, if they aim for the lowest denominator or the middle, you know, they're still losing kids on either side. Um, so I, I really do love the fact that, you know, school choice of all stripes is able to help that kid learn at their own pace and learn what they're interested in. So that is one of the reasons I, I just love it. And we see so many successful models coming out of the pandemic, uh, but traditional public schools aren't absorbing all of the best of that. So micro schools, and I, that's a concept that I haven't heard of before. Basically, what was this? Was this a private thing? Was this a charter deal? What what was a micro school? Yeah, it's it, this school in particular was a private school. So there was some tuition fee. Uh, it's actually lower than most of the 
private schools in the area, and they take a really small group of students. There was an interview process for not only the parents, but the students too, to you know get them in and see like, are you ready to learn like this? Uh, because it's not for everyone. Um, and it was just really fascinating. There was, you know, kids in all of these different grades learning together, learning side by side, you know, in, in just there's a couple rooms. There's a small library, just a library room. And, you know, the elementary kids and the middle school kids just kind of separated and went off to do their own thing. And the teachers help them occasionally as they need it. But for the most part, they're driving their own learning. So micro schools don't all look like that, but generally what they have in common is a really small class size, um, you know, maybe 20, 30, 40 kids. With just a handful of teachers or guides in this case, yeah. kind of overseeing the process from the various grades. I mean, I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Um, I mean, I think I, I, you know, I've never articulated it before, uh, like I just did with my own schooling experience, because that's exactly what it was. I got it. Once I got it, I was like, I'm off in la la land because we're waiting for everybody else to get it, you know, or the or the low, the slowest student to get it. And that's what I think is more frustrating than anything else. You don't look forward to it because you're like, OK, I get it. I want to move on. I want to move on to something new. Can we move yeah. forward? And um, a self-paced, uh, a self-paced uh, learning style would definitely be beneficial. But again, that's something that it's not even it's not even a component of the new system. Final thoughts, Sarah. We're down to we're down to the 30 second mark here. This has been such a wide ranging discussion. It's hard to pull it all together. What I would say is that we need to be thinking about and learning from these innovative models here in Alaska and elsewhere and thinking about how to bring the best of it to our traditional public schools. And how do we spend yeah. this money? effectively um Sa you know we we need to make these commitments sarah thank you so much folks we're out of time hour two dead ahead sorry i ran us right up to the clock there man i was just like that so now i'll give you the final bite of the apple you can summate because we did this was a wide-ranging discussion um but i you know we have to have more of these we have to have more discussions about this and we've got to get somebody who's inside the system to acknowledge it's not working as intended that's the thing. It's not working, you know, and just throwing more money at it is not going to solve the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So, Sarah, I'll give you the floor here for the last couple minutes. You can uh, summate and do do everything else. As an aside, I would love to talk about pensions in more depth and um, in, in just other news. I'm now the policy manager, so I, I am not only an education expert now. If you'd nice. ever like to have me on about health care or state fiscal issues, love to talk about it. Um, okay, you're booked. Exactly. Will, will you have me back? Yeah, please? yeah. You'll be, bo you'll uh, be booked repeatedly. You'll be sick of, <laughs> you'll be sick of my emails. Uh, yes. Go ahead. Um, yeah, it's it's so interesting to to think about um, just all all of these different things, and it it does fill me with hope. And what I would say is just we're talking too much about the amount of money, and we're not talking about how we make it matter. Um, and that's that's my problem is that we can, as a society, have these in depth discussions like we do. We have these every Monday. We have fantastic engagement from your audience. They're thinking critically. They're asking questions. They're trying, they're volunteering their own ideas. Uh, and I think, you know, our public discourse can rise to this level where it's not just about a dollar amount. You know, we can talk about these things more seriously right. and take into account everyone. 
Right. No, absolutely. I agree. Although Brian is a little cynical. Brian here says maybe it is working as designed, supporting Big Ed instead of the students. And and we've touched on that briefly this morning, uh, Sarah, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that really this has become more about the education industrial complex than it is about the children, right? I mean, California was a prime example of that when it was shut down. They would only reopen if they got their social justice things met and some other demands that the teachers union in California was making. And at some point you you looked at it and went, wait, that's not that's not for the children. That's not about kids. And that's I think that's been a bigger part of the problem. There were some incredible writers in those union contracts, and um, I think other places have done really good reporting on what's in them. Um, what I would say is that, you know, it is working as it was built, but consider that it was built to solve different problems than what we have today. Um, you know, teachers unions first came about because women teachers were coming into the common school model. They were being trained in large, large numbers, and they found out, you know, we're not being paid as much as the men. Um, and so they got these unions, these rigid step scales in order to ensure they were being paid fairly. Now that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like that is just not, we're not seeing that discrimination. We're not seeing, you know, any discrimination that's not solved with existing, you know, federal uh, laws towards that end. Uh, so it's it's working as it was designed, but it's what it's designed for isn't what we're looking for anymore. Right. Well, exactly. And somebody said earlier, the, you know, talked about how the Prussian model at the time was a great idea. And, you know, like you said, you know, when it was a, it, when they were looking for industrial factory workers, this model may have been perfect, but they have failed to adapt to the times. Uh, and that's part of the problem today is that we would value children who had more accurate thought and more critical and analytical and creative skills than those that can just simple simply read off their times tables or give you a detailed instructions on how to press a license plate or whatever it is that they're building. And that's part of the problem is that we've refused to move on from that. I, I agree completely. You've summed it so well. Um, yeah, it's just we're not built for this. And it, it's it's comforting to me to look back at the historical context of these things and to say, well, okay, it's not that, you know, it was built to be malicious towards our kids. You know, it's not built so that it hurts children, but you know, it made sense for the time and now it doesn't make sense anymore. And we need to think about, you know, are we reforming things or are we transforming them? Because I think personally, we should be working towards transformation. We can try restarting things. Reforming too often just means tinkering at the edges. You know, are right. we doing, you know, curriculum changes? Are we thinking about, you know, regardless, you know, we should be thinking about the ways to bring in these school choice options and make them common and parents knowledgeable about them. And so that every child has this customized education that works best for them. I couldn't agree more. And again, that whole idea of the love of learning, like you said, talking about students who are excited about their learning, who are excited about their school and love that, you know, we just don't see that as much uh, anymore. And it's because we've forgotten to, you know, we've forgotten that there's supposed to be a discovery aspect of this whole thing, that there's supposed to be an excitement. And um, and that's just kind of been not out of every student by any means. You know, you can't paint with a broad brush, but it's definitely uh, an issue that uh, I think needs to be addressed for sure. I mean, a classical education can go a long way to fixing a lot of this. 
I agree. And one of the reasons I, I loved this young lady who was our tour guide in part because she was a young redhead. Um, so I was a lot of myself in that too, but it was just fantastic to see just the excitement and pride in the school that she loved learning through this model. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Well, Sarah, um, you've just, you've just volunteered yourself for a whole lot of interviewing with the new policy. So you're new now a policy analyst instead of just the education policy analyst. All right. Yeah. I'm the policy manager, so I get to do everything. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. And I recommend you go out to my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Michael Duke show to fill out your recipe and maybe you could get a chance to win a bag of coffee and some and a cup and a cup and a coffee mug see i'd love it you gotta you gotta share that you gotta share that pecan recipe my wife will be she'll be dying to make that this year all right my dad would be tickled all right well thank you sarah i appreciate you coming on board thanks for being part of it as always yeah, thank you so much. Okay, folks, that uh, brings us to the top of the hour. We're ready to go. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Got to reset. Here we go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome back to the program. It is our, that was a fast hour one, wasn't it? That was a fast hour. That's that's how this whole week is going to go, folks. Welcome to Thanksgiving week. And uh, it is, uh, it's... It's it's just uh, oof, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be fast. Uh, tomorrow on the program, Brad Keithley and Chris Story will be joining us. We're gonna talk uh, with them about uh, uh, well, pretty much all different kinds of stuff. It's gonna be a fun discussion for sure. And we're going to uh, talk with them about the weekly top three, and then get our weekly uplift as well. Maybe we'll bring Chris on for a little bit of discussion on freedom and free thought, which uh, I am going to touch on a bit this morning as well. Also on Wednesday, uh, two different two different guests I'm working on right now. One is Senator Mike Shower. We're going to see if he's going to be. He may be working. I don't know yet. I have not confirmed with him yet. But it, Wednesday is his normal. Uh, Wednesday is his normal uh, go round, and then also <clears throat> working on another um, person to talk about um, modern day scams, 
Uh, we'll see if we can get them on as well. There was something else possible. I got a lot of stuff happening. A lot of stuff happening this week. A reminder, we will be off on Thursday and Friday, of course, for the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, we'll be returning back to the airwaves on uh, next Monday, a week from today. So Thursday and Friday, don't be listening for me because I will be cooking a turkey. I'll be cooking a turkey. That's my that's my job. My job is to cook that turkey uh, while my wife and my daughter go and do the rest of it. It'll be uh, I'm so look I'm so looking forward to all the good food and uh, and probably a I don't know maybe a Star Wars marathon or something. I don't know. We're gonna have we're gonna my son's gonna be over and we're probably gonna just we're we're just gonna watch. We're going to watch stuff until our eyeballs fall out, maybe play some board games and just have a good time together. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Um, all right. In this hour today, we've got um, we've got uh, uh, just you and me. We're going to have some discussions here. I have gone ahead and opened up the phone lines at 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you would like to sound off, I'd love to hear from you to see what you have to say. Feel free to... Feel free to dial in, and if you want to talk about the education thing that we just talked about, feel free to uh, to plonk in on that. If there's something else that you would love to discuss, uh, I'd love to hear that uh, as well. Um, just uh, again, smile and dial. Let's uh, let's get it uh, let's get it going on here, uh, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what's going on. A little bit cold across the state right now. Um, it's. Uh, Jeannie is reporting seven below down on the peninsula. Right now, it's uh, about three degrees below zero here at the old radio ranch, and we're expecting a blizzard. Yep, blizzard conditions are in effect from 9 a.m. this morning uh, until 6 a.m. tomorrow uh, in the Matsu Valley. 70 miles an hour winds is what they're expecting, 50 to 70 miles an hour. Blowing and drifting snow likely in exposed areas uh, and more. Uh, hazardous conditions could impact the morning and evening commutes. Very strong winds could cause damage to power lines and everything else. So go shake those trees near your power lines to make sure they don't have any more snow on them. I had my son go around and whack every tree around here with a shovel until we could get some of that snow off. It's uh, It's been pretty brutal. Uh, but then it's going to be raining down here in the South Central area on Thanksgiving Day. That's what they're asking for right now. 39 degrees, uh, big chance of rain. So <laughs> you just, you can't make this stuff up, man. This is the weather. This is the winter that just keeps on giving. Absolutely. All right, I got some stuff I want to talk about, but I see that we've got a phone line in the chat room here, a phone call, so we're going to go over there and see what, um, uh, to see what uh, you guys have to say. So let's uh, let's get started, and we'll just start by taking some phone calls. And if there's anything else you want to chat about, I'm open today. We're getting to that end of the year where I'm open to almost any topic here. So let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Good morning, Michael. It's Kevin McCabe. How are you? Good morning, Mr. McCabe. How are you, my friend? What's happening? Not much. I just wanted to remind folks, I don't know, I, th I think Angie sent you something about our uh, transportation House Transportation Committee meeting today at 1 p.m. in the LIO. And 
focused on the, the railroad and the Point McKenzie rail extension and the northern rail extension. So um, decided to try to hold a meeting here in the Anchorage LIO before session so that folks have a better chance to attend. So I'm hoping to get maximum attendance. And what is going to be covered, Kevin, on this? I mean, you're talking about Point McKenzie Rail, Northern Rail Extension. Give us some details as to what, I mean, what does that mean for us? What What is the discussion going to revolve around with those uh, projects? Yeah, so I dropped a, a link in the chat room. There's a, uh, the railroad has gone out and got a new estimate on what it's going to cost to uh, complete Point McKenzie Rail Extension. And uh, they want to uh, present that as well as, uh, as sort of a report on on how that would work, and the Matsu Borough is also going to be there, and they're going to talk about the, the Point McKenzie Rail Extension and Port McKenzie, and uh, it will also be, it's a three-hour meeting, it will be open for public testimony afterwards, and it will be available on Teams and uh, available to call in. So all the normal, uh, we're holding it in the LIO so that all the normal um, electronic means of attending the meeting are available. And you can listen in, you can call in for public testimony afterwards about anything railroad related or anything Port McKenzie or uh, PMRE, the Point, Mc, Point McKenzie Rail Extension, uh, anything that's on your mind with those that would be good to hear. So, and can um, you can you and can you remind people reason for holding this right? Yeah, I'm sorry. Can you remind people what the Point McKenzie Rail Extension does? I mean, I, I kind of understand it in vague terms, but can you explain what that means when they're talking about the Point McKenzie Extension and, and Point and Point Mac, Port Mac? Sure. The Point McKenzie Rail Extension is a half-built, it's a 32-mile-long extension that runs from Port McKenzie up to Houston, and it is... Uh, the state put $184 million into it, the state and the borough, uh, and it's uh, not complete. It has no rails on it. There's seven miles of rail bed that has, or 7.2 miles that has yet to be constructed, although it's cleared and the rights away are there. And then we stopped. For whatever reason, the state and the borough and the railroad stopped building it um, seven, eight years ago. And so we have this half-completed project and now, of course, we have all these uh, uh, issues with natural gas and resource development and all of that. So it's our idea that maybe we should complete it, but we want to hear from the public. Right now, it's the world's most expensive snowmobile trail at $184 million. So um, Alaska is a resource development state, and we can't develop our resources if we don't have the transportation to get them somewhere. Uh, to Tidewater or to the people, um, and or, or you know, yeah, were they trying to that, say, and were they saying that Point Mac was the alternative to to the Port of Alaska, as a as an alternate in case there was emergencies, or was this going to be a separate thing where some of the some of it could be offloaded? Was that the plan? What's the what was the overall justification for? building a, a, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of rail spur out there versus in in town. Well, yeah, so that's exactly right. There's a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, port McKenzie is a bit of a different port the way it's structured right now, and it fills a bulk uh, container, bulk loading, um, has a bulk loading ability 
that the Port of uh, Alaska in Anchorage doesn't have. Uh, Port McKenzie has 90 feet, it's 90 feet deep, uh, so at low tide there's 30 feet under the keel of a Panamax freighter, and the Port of Alaska can't even take a Panamax freighter. So between the two of them, the synergies uh, for Alaska would be awesome. But also there's the resiliency of, uh, you know, if something happens to either port in an earthquake or something that the other one will be able to, uh, you know, take up the slack, if you will. So the, the Port of Alaska is built on an earthquake substrate, and they're trying to fortify against that. They've spent, uh, you know, millions of dollars fixing that, and, and, and that's right as it should. There's a big infrastructure over there. Port McKenzie's a bit different. It's built on a different substrate, and we have 14.5 square miles of land at Port McKenzie that's available where Port of Alaska is, has a bit less. I think they have 300-plus, almost 400 acres. So sort of a different land structure and different substrates. So um, it all boils down to, hey, now we have the redundancy and the resiliency of a of a equal port but in a separate sort of area that may not be as affected by earthquakes and that sort of thing. So. I think it's uh, it's necessary if Alaska is going to continue to grow and grow our resources, and um, you know that's uh, that's sort of the direction we're moving. And uh, and the expansion of the of the port it, or the expansion of the railhead itself, this would connect it to the overall. This 32 mile connection would connect it to the overall rail system. Sure, that's correct. And and you know there's no there's only a, there's a couple of saltwater ports in the United States that do not have rail. The Port of Miami uh, and uh, the Port of uh, Hawaii don't have rail connected to them. Long Beach and Galveston are close. They have rail that's close. It's still, they're both a mess because you can't, you're having to truck things to the rail from the port. And we want to do, we think that a saltwater port here at Port McKenzie, it will, number one, it will relieve a lot of the congestion and traffic and problems on the Parks Highway going north to Fairbanks and into interior Alaska. Um, we can hook right up to, uh, up to the rail spur from Port McKenzie and unload a ship and run it on the rail instead of running it up the parks. So, yeah, we think the rail is a key piece of, of uh, putting Port McKenzie on the map, so to speak, and um, that's that's why we're moving forward. And that was the original thought as well. And so this will give us a, so this will give us an update on the newest cost estimates um, for what it's going to cost. What was the original cost of this spur line, Kevin? You know, the original cost was uh, under three hundred million in. Uh, we spent 184 of that, and then and there was 120 left to, and this was eight years ago. It was 120 million left to finish it. I think the estimates have climbed significantly since then. I think when I first took office, it was 140 million to complete, and um, a year ago, uh, the CEO of the of Alaska Railroad told me told me it was 190 million. So I'm sure it's north of that at this point. Um, and, and it's certainly going to take some sort of a public-private partnership to put it together. And it's just, uh, this is kind of an opening meeting to explore how that would look. All right. So it's going to be today, 1 p.m. at the LIO in Anchorage, right? The LIO in Anchorage at 1 p.m. today. 
uh, folks can participate on teams and other things? Is there a link that they can go to to get all the information and how to contact and all that? Sure, I dropped it into the chat room. I can do that again. Um, I have a, a MailChimp out and Facebook posts all over the place, but I can drop the link into the chat room. The LIO is on the corner of Benson in Minnesota. I think it's 1500 Benson is, is if I recall, it's in the, uh, there's a bank in that building. I can't remember which one, but it's, uh, it's a, available for the public. There'll be plenty of seats, lots of people uh, you can attend if you've got uh, nothing, uh, nothing other, nothing else to do, or you can call in and listen on Teams, and all the, I'll repost that link, and all the numbers and stuff will be there. Okay, <laughs> and it's all up on your Facebook page as well, so folks can go there to get that information as well. Is that right? And it's it's on your Facebook page as well. Um, I don't know. Yes, I can put it on my on my Facebook page. Okay. All right. Well, Kevin McCabe, thank you for calling in and giving us the heads up on this. We appreciate that. Thanks, Michael. All right, folks. Uh, that uh, lines us out here for uh, this section. We got more coming up, more phone calls and discussions. It's all dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more. Right after this, don't go anywhere. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in the break right now, uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, uh, I'm going to answer my phone because I've got a, vehicle that has to be towed and it's the insurance company that's coming to tow the vehicle and so uh hold the line we'll be uh we'll be we'll be right back that's what's going to happen Okay. All right. I don't know what's going on here. The phone wouldn't work properly. 
two phone calls while I was in the middle of the show. Damn. There you go. Um, all right. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Kevin just dropped the link to the chat room for the house uh, meeting and everything else. And, uh, we're all, we're all good. We're all good to go. Um, what else? Sorry. I'm going back through here. The comments batten down the hatches. Wind is starting says Terry. Really? Um, all right. I hope our ports are greatly emphasizing, emphasizing cybersecurity says, uh, Teresa. And then Jim reminds us that in the interior, the railroad has a bridge to nowhere as well. Yeah, remember how important that bridge was? And now it's just basically doing nothing. Uh, what's the projected cost per mile on the Port McKenzie rail extension? Um, I don't know, 30, 32 miles at $300 million? Well, that sounds like about $10 million a mile. And that was the old number. So that sounds that sounds about right, huh? Again, the most expensive snow machine trail in history right now because there's no rails on the track. Um, did they build it? Did he say that there was only seven miles of roadbed of railbed built? They spent 180 million on seven miles of road of railbed, and there's no there's no rails on it. That seems that seems like a lot. That seems like a, a, a lot if they've only done seven miles of it. Uh, this is what happens when we overthink things. I'll be honest with you. This is kind of the whole, you know, in this country during World War II, we built, I mean, I don't know how many dozens and dozens and dozens of airfields and roadways and everything else because it was important. And now it's like um, we, we can't get anything done, you know. Uh, oh, no, 7.2 left to be developed. Okay, so they did 24 miles of roadbed, 20, 23 miles of roadbed um, for $180 million. Uh, seven miles remaining, and then they placed the rails on it. Well, I mean, seven, you, you've gone most of the way there. You might as well, you might as well finish it at this point. <laughs> Projected cost per mile, about 13 cents per dividend, says Anthony. It's a lot more than that, my friend. They're talking about it's going to be another $150 million or something. Um, <clears throat> but but uh, uh, Kevin said that they are they still they had $300 million budgeted, so I'm assuming they still have $130 million left. Now they're going to ask for more on top of that. This project's going to end up casting half a billion dollars by the time it's done for 32 miles of rail, which... I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's typical, huh? I guess that's typical. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. Okay. Welcome back. About 200 and 
We were just talking about the cost of this rail extension. It's only about $240 per dividend, says Donna Ardwin. That's what the cost is right now. $240 per dividend to get that rail line finished. I mean, no big deal. No big deal. And now Randy's asking if he should donate his uncashed PFD check to help out with the completion of the Point McKenzie Spur. You know, you should just mail me that check. Just endorse it and mail it over to me, Randy. I will make sure that that money is well spent. So I just send it right over. I got some starving kids in Africa that will definitely be able to use that money for sure. Uh, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, hour two of the Monday edition for this Thanksgiving Day week. And yeah, we're just kind of letting our hair down, talking about different things. Phone lines are open if you would like to sound off at 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150, powered by our friends over there at Satellite West. You could find them at satellitewest.com if you want to go over there and uh, get uh, get squared away. Um, I saw this story, and I I have some mixed feelings about it for a couple reasons. Um, I am all I am all for keeping sexually explicit material out of the hands of grade schoolers, um, high schoolers. I'm not necessarily as worried about, but grade schoolers for sure. Um, and so now I just happened to see the list of books that are getting banned. There was 56 books removed from the library of the Matsu School District, some of which I agree with. Uh, others, I'm like, mm, really? Um, I mean, books like, you know, The Invisible Man and uh, Kurt Vonnegut's uh, Fahrenheit, or excuse me, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, and some of these other books. And I'm like, that's, that's, What? That's that's not I don't understand. Um, anyway, there are some other books on here. I think that the problem, this is my problem with the whole thing. I am all for keeping, like I said before, sexually explicit material out of the hands of kids. But some of these books, I got to wonder. Um, the Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini um, is a book that probably challenges some kids, uh, you know, probably would challenge some ideas and, and, uh, and some thoughts, but it is an excellent book. And I, and this is not clear. The reason I found out about this, by the way, is because the America, the ACLU has filed a lawsuit against the Matsu school borough for removing these books. Uh, the ACLU, I guess I should say, and the Northern justice project. Um, but some of these books, I, you know, I got, I got questions. I got questions. Um, you know, the books like, again, Fahrenheit, uh, or Slaughterhouse Five. I keep wanting to say Fahrenheit 451, but it's Slaughterhouse Five. Um, the Lovely Bones. Um, the, um, <clears throat> what was the other one? The Invisible Man was one. The Handmaiden's Tale, The Handmaid's Tale, which is the Margaret Atwood book, which is, you know, dystopian and everything else. Um, the whole, Court of Thorn, Thorn and Roses series. They actually had those all in the library. And while those are more mature, they're not necessarily, I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, I don't want, now, Sex, an Uncensored Guide by Nicole Hassler. Yeah, I think that necessarily should not be in the, in the, uh, um, in, in the library 
for the you know grade one through sixers and and things like that. There there are just some interesting there's some interesting choices here. Um, on uh on these uh on these book choices for being pulled out. Now I'm not familiar with every book that's on here, uh, by any means. But when you start pulling, when you start talking about pulling, um, you know, some of these books, I mean, Judy Bloom book that's been there forever, The Kite Runner uh, and Slaughterhouse-Five. I mean, those, I, 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 I mean, I got questions, you know, why are we, the, the, now in this library specifically, they're not eliminating The Invisible Man, but there was another article about some schools that have eliminated that book. Catch-22 was the other one, Heller, Catch-22. Um, you know, of of mice and men, and some of these other books, and I'm like, a lot of these books are on the like the, you know the hundred books you need to read before you die list. Now, does that mean that they're necessarily appropriate for grade school kids? Maybe not. I you know, I'm trying to remember. It's been years since I've read Slaughterhouse Five, but I don't remember it being anything other than a moving book that made me think. That's what it should be about. But, you know, if you're trying to push an agenda, if there's, you know, like, you know, like I said, the one that caught my eye here was uh, Sex, an Uncensored Guide. That's the name of the book. Why that would be in uh, why that would be in in a in a school library. I have I have no idea. Um, But these are the books that are being eliminated right now or have been eliminated from the school district. And maybe some of you have read some of these, um, but you know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't. I want to make sure that as we look at this, you know, books in school, the, the ideas in these books should be challenging to people, right? There should be some challenge to all this stuff. Um, you should always have your ideas challenged. That's how you become bigger. That's how you become a better. Uh, in your beliefs. That's how that's how it makes you stronger. Oh, Wicked. That was the other one. The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. That's the that's the one that they made the the theater production out of and everything. Um, so I, I guess I don't understand how. Uh, unless there's. I don't know. I, I'm I get a little uncomfortable with throwing out things in whole cloth, I guess. Let me put it that way. I, I, I don't know the context of all of these books. Um, uh, several of the books that I read, the excerpts of some of these books, um, which I don't recognize the names here on this, but yeah, some of these are definitely not, some of those are definitely not kid friendly and I wouldn't want in there. But when you're talking about some of these classics, I just, I don't understand. I, of course, I was reading novels uh, as a kid. Uh, we were talking with Sarah Maltabano about schooling earlier. Um, and, uh, you know, how I was bored. My teacher used to laugh, uh, in my English class because I would bring in, uh, I mean, I would burn through a four or 500 page novel in just a couple days. Right. I mean, I love to read and I love the stories and I love that kind of stuff. So I was reading adult books when I was in ninth grade. Uh, I was reading, you know, full on novels and, and everything else, but I, I don't remember ever reading things that were explicit um so but just some of the names that popped up on here just kind of made me scratch my head going who had a problem with it who had a problem with slaughterhouse five right who had a problem with that who had a problem with wicked um 
some of the books that I'm familiar with. The Court of Thorn and Roses, I mean, my daughter's read that, my wife's read that. I mean, who had a problem with that, this fantasy, this fantasy novel? Um, maybe there was some salacious stuff in it that I just was not aware of, but... You know, should there be a cutoff? Should there be a delineation between what's in a a, a high school library versus what's in a, kin, a a grade school K through twelve library or a middle school library? But again, you know, holding back some of the classics like The Invisible Man or Slaughterhouse Five seems to be. I just that just doesn't make any sense to me. It just does not make any sense. Um, but. It, it is it is what it is. Um, but apparently the ACLU now and the Northern Justice Project are out there. They're going to be banging the drum on this, and they're going to try and get all this stuff turned around. I suppose I should go read synopsises of all these books just so that I, I can speak about it. You know, uh, uh, I, I could speak about it a little bit here. But books like The Kite Runner and other things, I just I, – I find it surprising that uh, that some of these books showed up on the list. And maybe somebody in the chat room knows more about this than I do. Maybe they've been following this a little bit more, or somebody can call in and tell me how wrong I am on that. But somehow I just can't see that Kurt Vonnegut's novel um, should end up on that list for whatever reason. Um, you know. And I guess this is another reason why parents should be paying close attention to what their kids are doing. You know, This is just one more reason for parental involvement and knowing what their kids are reading and what they have going on. I was always interested in what my kids were reading. Because who knows? They may have read something that I uh, that I wanted to read as well. I mean, I just I don't know. I I, I just consume books. I'm av- I'm I'm very avaricious when it comes to uh, reading uh, good stories and things like that. But I I just again some of the names that popped up on these lists made me kind of go, whoa, what? That that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. So this lawsuit anyway is going forward <clears throat> and they're going to uh um they're going to be uh, uh fighting this out. They say that the books um are uh covered under constitutional uh the constitutional free speech that all students have the constitutional right to inquire, to study and to gain a deeper understanding of themselves and their world. As the Supreme Court ruled over 40 years ago, the school library is the principal locus of that freedom. Well, yes, but at the same time, um, there is somebody keeps bringing up the whole point of uh, exposing children to pornographic material, which is against state statute. Somebody keeps bringing that up, and I've seen that that statute get floated around a little bit as well. So, I mean, I think there has to be kind of a, a balance there, but at the same time, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I guess is what is what I'm saying on that right now. Anyway, I was just I saw that I had to talk about it. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I don't recognize most of the titles on this list, but I recognize some. And uh, I guess I have questions. We'll continue this discussion and anything else tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story. Thursday is Turkey Day. I'm ready. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base. Free Thicket Radio. We'll be back with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right. Um... Let me uh, let me go back and uh, read what you guys have been talking about here. Uh, yeah, I don't understand why you would leave Lovely Bones. I don't understand that one. And again, Slaughterhouse Five. Um, uh, okay, I'm going through here. My Christmas shopping is done, says Denise. Way to brag about it, Denise. Jeez, making me feel inadequate here. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, can we save the smut and gutter issues for January? I don't know what he's talking about. Um, uh, okay. Uh, I'm with you. Unsure how Slaughterhouse 5 and the Unabridged Guide to Butt Stuff wind up on the same list. Uh, it's... That's true, although I don't think that one was actually one. I mean, I know that that's actually the title of one of the books that was out there um, that was uh, being decried by one of the uh, one of the things here. Hold on a second here. Let me pull up the here we go. Let me pull the list. I I I I killed the list. I closed it. Um, Let me see. Um, Yeah, I didn't see that one of there. The one that caught my eye was the uncensored guide to sex, which I thought again probably not appropriate for a for a school uh, thing. Um, Donna said, "I have read many of those amazing books. I wouldn't recommend many of them for grade schoolers." Well, it's true. I mean, some of them have got very tough discussions on it. Um, uh, Slaughterhouse Five is high school. Yeah. It it is it is kind of an older topic. I mean, it's about World War II, and and I mean, it's 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 tough. Those books would still be in the borough library, says Barbara. Yes, they would still be in the borough library. This is just the school libraries. Um, um, Lovely Bones was just a thriller. It was homicide. Yes, it was. I was discusses with radicals for banning To Kill a Mockingbird, said Teresa. Yes, exactly. I was like, To Kill a Mockingbird, Slaughterhouse Five, The Invisible Man, why? Um, um, in my, I'm in my 60s, says Denise. In the 70s, my mother, a school librarian, got to experience a community and school board book banning. The book was, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. She simply set up a sign-in and signature sheet and a phone call for approval from the parents. That would not be bad. Um, Catch-22 is definitely high school. Yeah. Yeah, Catch-22, definitely, I think, a high school book. Parents can ban books through power schools, says Melissa, that you don't want your kids to check out power school is some kind of parent portal is that right melissa um 
Uh, Donna said, The Kite Runner is violent and has a violent sexual attack. An important book for adults, but disturbed me for days after reading it. Yeah, I have not read The Kite Runner. I've read the synopsis of it, but I have not read the actual book. But, I mean, again, it's a book that definitely challenges your your understanding of how things were. Um, uh, Prime rib for Thanksgiving, says Chris. Ooh, you'd like to live on the edge, my friend. That sounds delicious. We did prime rib for thanks nah, for um, not Thanksgiving. We did prime rib for Christmas here a couple of years ago. It's the first time we'd ever done that, and that was a lot of fun. Um, I have read excerpts of the books that they want out of school. Said Terry, they are pure evil. Not the one Dukes is talking about. Public libraries up to them. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean some of the excerpts of some of these books, which I don't see on these lists. Um, like I said, I couldn't read them on the air. They were, I mean, they were that salacious. But, uh, yeah. Want to bet? <laughs> Brian says, you want to bet there'd be objection to free to choose the law, road to serfdom, constitution of liberty, or anthem? That's a that's a good question. All right, hold on a second here. Now my phone is ringing. All right, welcome back. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll returning now here to the uh, final segment of the show. Where we got the phone lines open at 907-433-3150. Is the phone number. Melissa in Fairbanks just told us that uh, parents uh, parents can uh, parents can ban books through PowerSchool. They don't ban them. They basically put them on a restricted list so that their kids can't check them out. She said parents can ban books through PowerSchool that you don't want your kids to check out, which is a parent's portal. 
So they would get notification. The library would say, sorry, I can't check this out to you. So that would be also a good way to go around it. But again, while a lot of these books that we just talked about is, um, you know, these are these are adult books and uh, and they are, uh, uh, you know, they've got some adult themes. <clears throat> I don't think it always has to do with, like I said, salaciousness or anything else. But I guess many of these books should just be, you know, restricted to the high school level. I just I think that. I think that probably would would make sense. But anyway, we can get off that topic. I just I I was surprised at some of the books that were on the list. Let me just put that let me just put that out there. I uh <clears throat> I was surprised that that was uh, what's going on. Uh what else is happening? Well, there was a shooting last night outside too, a double homicide outside of Walmart in Anchorage. I mean, oof, man, that's the <clears throat> that's the the hit list that just keeps this the people keeps them on going. You know what I mean? Um, they are uh, there. There's no word. It happened literally right in front of of the front doors of Walmart, and there is one suspect at large. Although they said that they don't expect um, that this was an ice. They said it was an isolated incident. Uh, the circumstances of the incident are under investigation, but officers have cause to believe that this is an isolated incident, said the police. Uh, this all took place about 5 p.m. last night um, on the old Seward Highway and 88th Avenue, just south of the Diamond Center Mall. Um, the circumstances are still under investigation, know exactly what's going on. Uh, interesting that everything was so populated and it happened right outside the main entrance. That just makes you go, wow. Okay. Um, that, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a problem for sure. Um, <clears throat> another reason, I guess, to, uh, go forth armed, uh, down in the, uh, in the big city down there for something like that to happen. Not that, you know, I don't know if you could have done anything, but, I'd at least like to have the ability to fight back. So that was the other, uh, that was the uh, one of the other big stories. And then this one that just came through late yesterday as well. Uh, Attorney General Treg Taylor this week issued new guidance on the discussion of gender in public schools and access to books related to sexuality in public and school libraries, drawing criticism from public education and library ad- advocates. Uh, Taylor, uh, his new decision on Thursday, issued a new interpretation of an, ex- of an existing law that requires public schools to notify parents or guardians of any content involving, quote, human reproduction or, quote, sexual matters. Taylor's interpretation expands the statute to include instructions related to gender identity. This is according to the uh, Irish Samuels over at the ADN. The statute is meant to allow parents to opt their child out of instructions related to sexual education. The new interpretation will require teachers to also notify parents when they are discussing gender identity, giving parents the opportunity to opt their children out of that content. In a letter, uh, in a letter to Education Commissioner Dina Bishop, he said, Treg Taylor said, gender identity coursework necessarily involves topics related to reproductive organs. The purpose of the statute is to advance parents' rights to be involved in the education of their child, which notice about gender identity coursework facilitates. The existing statute stems from a law adopted back in the legislature uh, in 2016 when Governor Dunleavy was there and he was a key supporter of the bill. 
Dunleavy last year proposed a new bill that would further curtail instructions on sex and gender in public schools, and that measure would have banned all sexual education before fourth grade and explicitly required students to obtain parental permission, which, again, I don't necessarily see the problem in that right now. <clears throat> um, also, of course, the uh, they talked about uh, the uh, parental notification when it comes to books of a sexually explicit na- nature uh, as well. And uh, that is uh, that is the other interesting part of this, which kind of ties back into what I was just uh, just saying. Uh, he also warned schools and public libraries in a separate letter against allowing children to access books that have graphic depictions of sexual conduct, of content rather. He said you should conduct a review that takes steps to ensure the organizations are not violating the law. Uh, in response, the public library spokesperson for Anchorage said that the library will continue to operate under the guidance of their current collections management policy and in consultation with the Department of Law at the municipality, which sounds a lot like go pound sand is what it sounds like. Um, anyway, um, you know, it, it, this is this is where we're at. We're in the middle of the culture wars. There's no doubt about it. Again, asking myself, why, oh, why would you not? Uh, <clears throat> why, oh, why would you not pull your kids from public school if this was a problem for you? If you're having a, if you don't have an issue with it, great. Continue on. If you have an issue with it, why would you just not take that education into your own hands and deal with it yourself, right? And why would why and why would you not be paying attention to what your kids are doing in the libraries as well? I liked what Melissa said. I didn't realize that there was a power portal where the parents a power school, which is a parent portal, where you could go in and and you know. No, no, no. Can't check out those books. Can't do that. Not old enough to do that yet. I I find that um uh I find that uh, uh very easy. That would be a very easy fix for me in that regard. Um I would uh, I would love to I would love to uh, see more parents get involved in that way as well. 907-433-3150-907-433-3150. If you would like to sound off today, we'd love to hear what you have to say here in the last uh, few moments of the show. Tomorrow on the program, we're going to be joined by Brad Keithley, uh, who's going to come on for the weekly top three. I'm sure we'll be diving down into a little bit of a tease about what's coming up on the next uh, in the next session, which is just uh, less than two months away right now. We're going to be doing on the uh, on the session here. Uh, hold on a second here, folks. Let me uh, let me do this uh, real quick here. Sorry about that. A little technical issue. Uh, anyway, Brad Keithley, Chris Story will be joining us. We'll be uh, uh, talking about uh, the good stuff from Chris and, of course, uh, the weekly top three from Brad. Not that that's not good stuff as well. Uh, then on Wednesday, we're going to be uh, talking with, uh, I hope, Mike Shower 
and again working on a couple other guests as well so we're going to uh we're going to do that and then thursday and friday we are off for the week because of the holiday which reminds me that the holiday recipe contest is um is ready to go the holiday recipe contest is up and running right now over on facebook uh, just go to facebook.com slash Michael Duke show. If you want to uh, take a look at the recipes that have already been posted. And if you want to post your own recipes, we would love to, uh, we'd love to give you a chance to win a delicious bag of beard curler coffee and a, uh, uh, and a coffee mug at a six o'clock club coffee mug. So just go over there. All you have to do is post your favorite Secret family, I recommend the secret family recipes. The one that grandma would turn over in her grave about, you know, giving out. Because, I mean, why not share the joy? Why? I never understood why people are like, oh, I'd give you that recipe, but that's my grandmother's recipe and we just don't want anybody. Why? Why would you not share the joy, share the love with all those recipes? I mean, I would happily give anybody out there my grandmother's pumpkin pie recipe. I want everybody to enjoy it the way that I do. Uh, you know, my the barbecue recipe, the, the, the bourbon brown sugar ham recipe. I want everybody to enjoy it the same way that I do. Uh, so just go post your recipe and then go vote on the various recipes that are out there. Uh, on the 19th, we'll see who has the most votes, and then that person will win a bag of beard curler coffee and a 6 o'clock club coffee mug. And it will be a very Merry Christmas for everybody involved. Uh, again, all you got to do is go over to Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show and sign up there. Just sign up. It would be, you know. It would be a, uh, a, a great opportunity. By sign up, I mean put your recipe down there and then let everybody vote on it. My wife actually put a recipe up there as well. Uh, the candy, Her candy cane cookies, which are delicious. They're delicious. So uh, go check it out. Uh, again, uh, Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. All right, that's it. We're up against it. We're done for the day. We will see you guys tomorrow. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be safe out there, folks, with all this wind. It's cold. It's windy. It's winter. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Okay, well, that's it, folks. I'm expecting a phone call here in just a second. Uh, so I appreciate you guys. Love y'all. We'll see you tomorrow. Go share a recipe. Don't forget to check out the Common Sense Core. That's how you support the show. We'll be back tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 